Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A guy like you should wear a warning. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A guy like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. Too high, can't come down. It's in the air and it's all around. Welcome to the Original Doll. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On the Original Doll iconography, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we help out charity. For more information, go to theoriginaldoll.com. While you're there, join my Patreon community. There you can support the show. Big shout out to my Patreon patrons. You all rock. And as with everything with the Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it. Now you may say, James, who were some of those voices at the beginning of this show? Well, the first voice you heard was songwriter and producer. She's worked with so many people. Her own recording artist, Kathy Dennis. Then we had Britney Spears and we had Emma, who was another background vocalist on this song. So we're going to talk more about the creation of this song and more with Jive Records A&R, Britney Spears' A&R guy, Steve Lunt. We're going to get right to the show. Thank you so much. Take a listen. Don't forget to rate it. See you on the flip side. Now, today we are joined by one of my favorite people to talk to and one of many of your favorite people to talk to. We have Britney Spears' former A&R guy, right-hand man, arranger, producer, songwriter, his own recording artist. We have Steve Lutz. Steve, thanks for coming back. You're welcome. Today, I want to talk about, you and I talked for over a year now about the impact of In The Zone and kind of those things, and we've touched a little bit upon it. Today, I wanted to talk about the song Toxic. Why don't we rewind back? We know that In The Zone was released in November, fall, if you will, of 2003. Now, this was two years after the Britney album. Where were you? Where was Britney? Where was the label in that transition period? What were you looking for? What were you looking to do? What were you looking not to do? Where were you at? I think it's important to remember what was going on around that time too with Jive Records and with Britney as a person. You know, Britney was growing up. She was beginning to feel her out as an adult or semi-adult, however she old, however old she was at the time. And at the same time, Jive was changing. You know, we had Clive Calder, the the owner chairman of the founder of jive records left in i think what 2002 i think it was 2002 so there was a lot of uncertainty in the air really um, as to where we should go and britney was taking a little bit of time for herself and at the same time jive wasn't fully together towards you know the 2002 area it was a little weird because Barry Weiss, who was the president of Jive Records, after Clive had left, he took over basically being chairman and running Jive Records. He was not an A&R person like Clive's talents were in, in mm-hmm. so he didn't have those same sort of talents, not the same skill set. Uh, he was a radio promotion guy, and he was really good at that. When Britney was taking time, and suddenly we realized we were also without 
Max Martin. Max Martin wasn't really involved in this record and he didn't really want to be involved, if I remember correctly. It certainly wasn't us saying you can't work on it, so it must have mm -hmm. come from him. You know, it was a very uncertain time as to the direction that she should go in. We decided, I mean, I decided really that I just wanted to go for it, just be just do something different. You know, we couldn't go backwards. The road forwards was unclear as to where we should go. So I said, just going to experiment. Just gonna, it's going to go in my gut instincts. And, uh, you know, if I hear a song that I like and that I think she can sing and, you know, use my my own skill set of being able to make those judgments, you know, I'm just going to run with that. And if uh, Brittany ends up with no career and I end up with no job, then I'll realize I didn't do it very well. I think as it turned out, it turned out well. I'm really proud of the In The Zone album because I feel that in the end, ultimately, it was a huge turning point for her. You know, she hadn't really turned into a full independent woman yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that In The Zone did that for her. You know, she sort of reached maturity and she started to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I am my own person. And I think I was, you know, I'd like to think I was a, a part of helping her along that route to getting there. Here's some information on Toxic, and this is how well it did. Now, this is four albums into Britney Spears' career. So many artists have a big rise and then a quick fall. Britney Spears was able to do something with this album that not many people were able to do. And here's some information. Toxic went to number one in over 12 countries. It's presently at over 1 billion streams on Spotify. And this song, Toxic, gave Britney her first ever Grammy win. Now for those who don't know, Britney Spears was nominated the first year of eligibility for Best New Artist. She ultimately did not receive that award. Toxic received Best Dance Recording. And for those of you who are on Patreon, thank you so much, Patreon patrons, you all rock. I go through all those different archives and everything to find out when these songs actually hit radio. Well, the U.S. radio debut of Toxic was November 10th, 2003 in a radio station in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's right, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I want to ask you this. When was the first time you ever remember hearing Toxic? What city were you in? Let me know on Instagram, the.original.dal, or go to X, at James Rodriguez. But I wanted to point this out because this is albums into Britney Spears' career. And this was not the lead single. So much emphasis is put on so many pop stars' first single. That's where they want to go. That's where they hit it off. But Britney Spears was able to receive a Grammy for not even the first, the lead single from the album. I just thought that was amazing. We're going to get right to this. Back to the show. Today, I wanted to talk about the song Toxic because I know, and some of the listeners know, this song wasn't as simple as it was made for Britney. Here it is. It's done. Completed. Sent. This song was pitched to different artists. This song maybe could have made maybe might not been on the album maybe it wasn't going to be a single all this all this crazy stuff today we finally get to talk about all of this but i want to kind of rewind back a little bit and talk about how did you know bloodshy avant kathy dennis how did that creative group get kind of brought into the britney spears atmosphere well the way that i remember it i remember it was uh there's a guy called christian Wahlberg who was uh, who ran Merlin in Sweden, in Stockholm, Sweden. Merlin was basically a rival or a, a competitor, or a, you know, friendly 
to to Chiron, which Chiron. is Max Martin. So in Max Martin, there was a there was in Chiron there was Max Martin, and there was Perrin David, and there was you know a, a bunch of other writers in there. And then there was Merlin, which was the other studio and unit across town. Chiron were obviously the more successful, you know, at that point. Christian Wahlberg, who ran or ran the publishing company, I can't remember exactly what his position was, but he was the contact guy for me. And I remember meeting with him and he was playing me some stuff. And I really liked what uh, Bloodshine of Art were doing. The stuff, even tracks that weren't real songs yet, they were just like really interesting, they were kind of electronic but but sort of had a they weren't sort of electronic in a new york kind of way they were kind of electronic in an aggressive swedish kind of way and they had mm -hmm. all the commercial they had some chords in them that reminded me of that whole swedish way of, of of looking at pop songs but they had this aggressive and quirky electronic side that the chiron never had chiron was always kind of smooth and really well put together and brilliant um, and this was something slightly different. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, so that really got me interested. Now I've since read, uh, an interview with, uh, with Bloodshy where he said he was in LA and an, an A&R rep. I'm not quite sure what that is, but an A&R rep came in into the studio and heard it and heard their stuff and said, oh, I really like this. This is in LA. I, I have no idea what that story is. So I don't know who this Jive A&R rep was that, <laughs> that that heard of Bloodshine of Art before I did because I was, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, so, and, and by the way, the that, great that, thing that, is that's where memories, you yeah. know, like differ from one person to another. All I know is that I, from my point of view, I, in my mind, I found a Bloodshine of Art and I, I, nobody told me about them other than christian Wahlberg from merlin well and i think something that's interesting and for many people and they've they've appreciated you talking about all these things because you're somebody who you know you've shared faxes with me emails things like that where we're like oh yes it was this date where we're confirming a lot of things and yeah. you're somebody who remembers who you brought in to this sort of thing and you've acknowledged oh i heard about this from person a through person b sort of thing so it, those things are always interesting <laughs> um but just in general. So, okay, so Bloodshine Avant, you go, okay, this could be a good fit. Were you thinking, like, for Britney for this time, like a yeah. one-off thing? Like It was, all I knew about them was that they'd had sort of a, maybe a couple of hits in England uh, mm -hmm. with Miss Dynamite. That's really all I knew about them. And uh, they'd had something with uh, Christina Milian. But other than that, they were really kind of unknown in America. They were not considered to be a list or any list at that point, really, to be honest with you. And uh, certainly nobody at a, a, a jive knew who, who they were, except for me, because they were introduced to me, like, you know, through Christian Warburg. But I just thought in the way that I was going with, with, with the, in the zone album with Brittany, that, that this would be like so good for them, you know, it'd be such a good, uh, such a good um, blend and then when I heard, you know, Toxic, that they, you know, with Kathy Dennis's input into it, it just made it so, it, that was the pop element I needed on top of the electronic tracks that uh, the Bloodshine mm -hmm. of Art were coming up, with, coming up with. So it was like a, at that point, it was a real song and a real attitude. And I, and I said, this is just perfect for Britney. Um, now, I didn't know, I mean, you, you've apprised me to this fact of these other, 
of these interviews, uh, you know, with with Kathy Dennis and everything, saying that originally they were thinking of Janet Jackson, and then they were thinking of uh, well Kylie Minogue or something, yeah. and, and Kylie Minogue passed on it, and I, I guess Janet Jackson did too or something. I was unaware of that, and to be honest with you, I don't really care because I'm I'm not one of these people that goes on, oh somebody else wants it, so I got to have it. Mm-hmm. which is a big thing in A&R, you know, like A&R people, it's like they hear somebody else wants it and suddenly they, they've got to have it because they think it's great. I'm not one of those people because I, maybe because I come from a musical background and I understand artists a little bit more than some A&R people, not all of them, but like some. And I, and I tend to see what is suitable for a certain artist. And I just thought this was suitable for Britney. And, and even if nobody else on the planet had ever wanted that song ever, it would, I would still do it with Britney. Because I just well, think it was it was right for her. Well, and the great thing is, Kathy Dennis being a part of Can't Get You Out of My Head. And for those listeners who have not been here before, welcome. For those returners, welcome back. I was able to interview Rob Davis, who did Can't Get You yeah. Out of My Head. Right. And then also, this would have been, we had, Kathy Dennis talked with the Ivers Academy, who on the show, we had Halea Lindvall. And she just talked recently about this. And that she was working on songs for Janet. And that would ultimately, for those listeners, Jan fam... That would be the Demita Joe album. When you go to the Demita Joe album, you can see how this song would not have fit the sonics, the R&B style of this song. Mm -hmm. But they did use a Kathy Dennis song, Island Life, for the Demita Joe album. The thing with Kylie Minogue is I interviewed Johnny Douglas about his work on Kylie Minogue's Body Language album, which was that album that they were putting together things for. And Johnny said what was interesting is the label said, we want hip hop with glitter. That's what they told him. So when you look and go <laughs> toxic, once again, that would not have fit. No, no. And, and it's not like, oh, it could go in there. This was a completely different Sonic. This would have stood out and not in a good way. So we know many of these songs go from one artist to the other. People get excited when they're like, I found out this demo was passed by this. It always finds a home. And the other thing too is, most times, and I think it was Steve Anderson who said, if I didn't get that cut with Britney, I could still go, this was intended for Britney. And then every other person not at that tier of Britney is going to be like, oh, I'll take it. I'll take There are so many songs that were pitched to Britney that it just didn't work for whatever right. reason yeah. that found their home elsewhere. But I also think looking at it now, listening to those songs, when you look at those albums, Toxic fits in the zone more than those other two artist albums yeah. that right. came out at that time. Right. Well, let, let me just interject something here because, you know, when you're telling the story, it just makes me really realize what a lucky mother I am, you know, because, and, and Brittany, because, you know, Baby One More Time was originally written for TLC. Mm-hmm. You know, Clive Davis passed on it for TLC. And we heard it and we said, perfect for Brittany. Okay. That's that's the first one. Then we had I'm a Slave for You and Boys, and I can't remember which one or both of them maybe written for Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. She passed on them. Two hits for Britney. Thank you very much. We'll take them. And now now Toxic, you tell me it was Janet Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. again. It's like, hey, you know, give all give us all your cast offs. I'll I'll check them out. I'll, for Brittany, take I'll take them. I'll gladly take them. Yeah. You know, I mean, wow. And what's been kind of cool is so many of the different guests on the show have sent me the who's looking, those old emails mm-hmm. and those old yeah. where, and for the listeners who might not know, it they would say like, 
Lindsay Lohan is looking for more rock leaning songs or they're looking for a Beyonce type song where they would send these things out. And so the fun thing would be to see Janet's name or Kylie's name as what they were looking for. And there are a lot of people that are like, oh, I, I totally wrote that. And not, not this song specifically, but like, I totally wrote that for Kathy Jennis when I got the Who's Looking. It's like, no, the song you wrote was a ballad. And that specifically Who's Looking said, <laughs> no ballads. We want speed metal. You know what I mean? Like we want yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as years have gone on, I think a lot of people have realized if they say, oh, that song was for somebody else, and maybe it wasn't a hit, then maybe they'll get more ears on it. There have been people online that are like, oh, sure, that was a Rihanna song, totally. And then you find out that was not even the case where some yeah, of these people to, are just like, you have to say it in a slightly different way, though. You, if you say, if you say this was written for somebody, um, mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't carry a lot of weight because you could just say, oh, I wrote I that. I could say for I wrote somebody. this for Britney. But if right you say now. it was being considered by, Mm -hmm. that's a lot those are two different words altogether yeah jive for considering this for for britney but and then they can put in their own caveats after that but you know they they had enough ballads so so we didn't uh so we decided to take uh, our song away you know like there's all sorts of spins that that songwriters and uh and producers put on why they weren't on a on, on a mega platinum album that that'll help yeah. them get get a get a cover with someone else well, and the most interesting thing is you and I have been able to kind of debunk some theories of just different things. But there are so many times where people are like, oh, this was a demo for the Oops album or the Baby album or Britney album. And then you and I talk and you're like, that person wasn't even signed to Zamba at the time. Nobody from outside of Zamba was getting a Britney track. You know, that there were so many at the time when you look at it or that person wasn't even signed to a publishing deal in 2000. How were they supposedly doing these demos when they got signed in 2004 that that is not a oops like i said i can say i wrote a song for britney today and call it a day but i think we need to separate to your point considered is something separate anyone who's like oh written for a demo for that's right people just decide to rewrite their own history but yeah. fact remains it's like if you were an exclusive let's say christina aguilera songwriter you were not in the same because some people are like yeah it was at a label meeting Britney and Christina were never at the same label during these early years, right. never. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, it was at the same meeting with the label, it was between Britney or Christina in 2001. It's like, Christina was not with Jive Records. Like, this is, right. this is insane. <laughs> so yeah. let, let's go back to the song. Now, what's interesting is I know, and we can talk about this, is that the version of Toxic that, let's say, was Janet Kylie's team or they heard themselves is not what was released because there were different things that were added. There were different things sonically on the Britney version. So can we talk about, it wasn't a cut and paste. She just showed up one day and here it's the same. We're just taking this karaoke track and just throwing Britney's voice on there. No, 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 it was a, you know, as with all these things, uh, they're a work in progress. And this was not a finished song when I, when I got the demo, mainly arrangement wise, but, but maybe a bit beyond that there was the basic song was there that really attracted me to it the the whole middle section with the breakdown with the, some of the crazy instrumental stuff before it goes into the last choruses that wasn't there the the surf guitar the twangy surf guitar wasn't there um, which is important everyone that is important because that part and i'll play it in the background that part is iconic to this song now you're gonna make me tell the story aren't you yeah, well, the song didn't have that in, and that was a suggestion of mine. And I sang 
the part I wanted over the phone to Bloodshy in Sweden. And I said the kind of sound I wanted. I gave him the example of the kind of sound I wanted. And then he sent back a version and it wasn't right. So I said, no, 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 these notes and, uh, and and this sound, it wasn't quite right. And then he did it. And then it was a lot closer to the way I was, I was hearing it. The thing that I liked about the thing, the reason I wanted that part in there, one, there was a, there was a hole in the arrangement where, where that, where that was. And it felt just didn't seem to flow properly. And secondly, it is, um, there was something about the, about the song that needed a little bit of that James Bond feel. I don't know what it was that made me think that, mm-hmm. but it just needed a little bit of that. There's a fun aspect to some of those kitsch movies from the, from the sixties, like James Bond or, or some of those. Or like spaghetti surf. Western. Yeah. Sounds. Spaghetti West. Exactly. And, uh, and, and surf records, you know, from the West coast and those, and all those sixties, those really kitschy campy type of things that the way we look at them now as being that, they were kind of legit at the time. These sounds were just kind of over the top. And so I wanted that in there. I wanted to try and make the thing a little bit larger than life, you know, in, in that in that section, especially coming after the title. So so that was uh, one part that I was very proud of, of suggesting. And that's one of those sonics that stands out to me. That's one of those things where it's like, this is amazing. It was different. And to me, it reminded me of that Spaghetti Western or the Tarantino where he kind of go- does that throwback surfer mm-hmm. retro sound right but there's the, something a little the... dangerous about that sound that's what I like in a in a tongue-in-cheek way in mm-hmm. a very and... sort of tongue in fun tongue-in-cheek way there's something dangerous about that twangy guitar sound that that just works with like you know you know that you're toxic if you're enjoying the show don't forget to rate on apple podcast and spotify and let people know about the show one of the the things that I noticed with this is, and Kathy Dennis talks about this, there were so many people that minds were blown that there was a sample in the song, yeah. that the strings, it was a sample. People were like, oh, what are you talking about? This is brand new information. A lot of producers had known about this, had talked about it, but a lot of people just thought this was original. The two samples I'm going to play you are from a Hindi song called Teddy Betty Beachman, which was from a Bollywood film back in 1981. Let me know what you think. Yeah, and it's funny because I I didn't know at the time it was a sample. I mean, nobody did uh, at the time. You know, I just thought it was just their their little lick. And it was only afterwards. I th- I don't know if there was a legal case, and I didn't really follow it. I don't know, but I've since like reverse engineered it, and I think I know what they did because the. That little string line, the you know, that little Indian string line, it's not the same as in Toxic. This may just be for musicians only, I don't know, but the notes, the individual notes are the same, but they're all in a different order. What Bloodshine of Art did, to the best of my knowledge, is that they took those notes, they sampled the notes from the movie, they took each note separately and then just 
shuffle them about into the order that they wanted them. So it's the same notes that are being played, but they're just in a different order. So it's so it com- so, so instead of being like it- one, two, three, four, it was like four, two, one, three. Yes, exactly. So it, it so it com- so it, it it made a different melody out of those same notes because they're all in a different order. So then. In order to do that, it's very difficult to make it sound natural because when you edit things, they that you know that the, mm-hmm. it just sounds too choppy. And if you notice on the on the um, on the credits for this, he credits a string section like a small string Bollywood section, strings. which he calls Bollywood strings, which is a tip of the hat to where they got it from, which is an Indian mm-hmm. movie. And I, what I think they did is they they sampled these things and they put it down there as a template. Then they got the string players to play on top of it live, and it smoothed out those edits those natural edits that would have happened um, and to make the new, the new melody. Uh, and that's what I think happened. There's this, the, the first part of the lick in, in toxic, there's a slight, there's a cello part, a slower part, which, which builds up to the, like the first part there that's taken almost note for note from the, uh, from the movie, uh, which comes a little bit later um, in the song. But the violin part, the da 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 part, that's that's a new melody which didn't actually occur in the movie. So it's an interesting dilemma. So so basically, for people who don't know, and this may be getting too technical, I don't know, and you may want to cut this no, out. Love it, but love it. But, but when you're doing a sample, there's two there's two elements. One is the compositional part of it, um, which is a publishing thing. That means, uh, are you taking somebody's song itself not the actual recording but the but the song itself are you taking you know those those notes that were written the other part is a master license which is are you taking it from the actual record if you're taking it from the actual record then that's two things then you've got to pay the publisher and the record company the publisher on the song end of it and the record company on the master end of it that means the record um but if you're changing that melody it's not really a compositional thing. It's not really taking the song because mm-hmm. it's a different song. But what you are taking is a part of the record, of the mm-hmm. recorded record, the, the original record that you sampled. So you'd have to pay the record company from that. Now, I don't know how they sorted out their legal situation because I'm sure people came out of the woodwork, you know, wanted to get paid on that. You know, it's, who doesn't? You know, that's just mm-hmm. what happens in the business. What is that? Um, what is that uh, saying? Where there's a hit, there's a writ? Yeah, that's. Oh, trust me, I got many stories about that too. With people who come out of the woodwork, hoping that you're just going to settle, you know. And it's yeah. it's uh, and, it's, and, it's a bit it's ambulance chases. It's song ambulance chases is what it is, and it's and, disgusting. Well, and so for everyone, basically, if you look at any song that's let's even make it as general, any song that's gone number one on the charts in the United States chances are there's a handful of people claiming that they did it, wrote it. Ed Sheeran was a part of it. Katy Perry was a part of it. Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke, Pharrell. There's so many different types of of these, to your point, some of them ambulance shades. Some of them, of course, they're not everyone is no total jet in cases too. Um, Absolutely, but this is one of those things that the moment, and I mean, there are people that sued Britney for all of these songs at some point, right. and people think, oh, well, I'm just going to say I'm going to sue Britney. She doesn't want that press, so then she'll write me a check, and then right. I just got paid on that. That's, and ex- some that's exactly like, what it is. Yeah, and that's yeah. why when when you look at different lawsuits where people are like, oh, it's an admission of guilt, there are times where people are just like. 
get i i just need to be out of this this right. situation right. yeah um, and, and and then record companies what they did in the end they 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 formed um a department and it was like sample and clearances and mm-hmm. and they would listen to everything that goes out and they say is this a sample is that a sample you know like this that and the other. and they'd get questions they'd have to get clearances from people and if it was a significant enough sample that you're using you'd have to give a songwriting credit to the original people and everything and a lot of you know, people when they're putting this together, especially like street artists, people who don't really know a lot about the about the sophisticated element of, of the legal situation, they would just take a sample from something, throw it in a song, you know, because it sounded good, which is fair enough because they're going mm-hmm. with their, their gut instinct. But then when the legal side jumps in, it's like, well, you're going to have to change that because that's going to cost $100,000 to clear that in order to put it out on an independent label. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to pay for that. If you're a fan of Britney Spears and her merch, check out theoriginaldoll.com. On there, you'll see all sorts of fun merch for sale. And while you're there, join my Patreon. I'm going to be releasing a bonus episode on Patreon about the vocal productions. If you listen closely to the vocals on Toxic Britney Spears, so when you go buy it on Apple or iTunes or anything, or you stream it, You'll be able to hear so many different voices throughout the entirety of the song, including songwriter Kathy Dennis, but also Emma's voice that is throughout the song as well. More about that on the originaldial.com. Back to the show. Can you feel it now? You have been able to kind of clear up so many things because we've talked about, you know, you were at these meetings. You were the one putting together, whether it was producer, songwriter with Britney or this song is going to go here, the sequencing, all of those things. We know that a single at this time was always going to be released a couple months before the album was released. There were so many theories for the past several years saying, oh, outrageous or toxic. Those were going to be the singles. And last minute, it was changed to me against the music. Can you clear this up? Was with Britney Spears, the final version of me against the music, which we'll talk about in a different episode, everyone. Was Me Against the Music always going to be the lead single? Was there ever discussion about Outrageous being the lead single or Toxic being the lead single? Can you clear this up for us? Next time, and don't forget to rate on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and send me any messages with questions you have for future guests. Thanks for listening. Brittany didn't like the song, and neither did I.